Describe the need for innovation in food security in five words or less. SNAP recipients deserve to have the same shopping experience as non-SNAP recipients. I, I, I love the rounding helpful. error on the five. It was good. <laughs> it was good. Craig, this is Ag Bioscience. Welcome and thanks for joining. I'm Mitch Frazier, President and CEO of Agrinovus Indiana. This is the podcast where we explore all things Ag Bioscience, the people, the products, innovations across food, animal health, plant science, and ag tech. We're joined today by a national expert in food security and food policy. He's an economist, an academic, and a technical advisor for Feeding America. His research centers on the causes and consequences of food insecurity and on the evaluation of food assistance programs with a specific focus on the Federal Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, known as SNAP, or otherwise known as food stamps. Welcome Baylor University Professor Dr. Craig Gunderson. Craig, welcome to Ag Bioscience. Great. Thank you so much, Mitch, for the opportunity to be here today, but more broadly to be able to work with you and all the team at Agrinovus. Just fantastic opportunity. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Craig. It's been so fun to get to know you, get to know your work. And as we've worked together on the Hunger Tech Innovation Challenge, we'll talk more about that coming up. It's been really interesting to understand your background and your work in food insecurity. Share with us more about your story and the journey that's taken you from the Midwest to Baylor with that real clear focus on addressing food insecurity. Sure. So I, um, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in, I was born and raised in Madison, Wisconsin. And then, um, so eventually I ended up interested in issues pertaining to food insecurity and food assistance programs. During my work, I worked for U.S. Department of Agriculture from 96 to 2003. Then I moved to Iowa State University from 2003 to 2008. And I was at University of Illinois from 2008 to 2021. And then um, for about the past decade, uh, Baylor University has been trying to uh, recruit me. And I really wanted to come down here for the opportunity to work at the Baylor Collaborative on Hunger and Poverty. And finally, this past year, it came together and I, I moved down here last September. So really happy to be here at Baylor, um, but also happy to be in the great state of Texas, but also happy to see all the exciting work being done in the Midwest, and in particular by Agrinovus in terms of some of these issues pertaining to food insecurity. Greg, it, it, is, uh, it is a fun journey, and one that I think you have such a unique perspective on. As an economist, you have a real clear view of the, the both the supply and the demand side of what's happening in the, the ag bioscience economy, the food economy. As you look at it from your perspective, as an economist, what's driving food security here in the U.S., and why is it so hard to eradicate both in rural and in urban communities? So, I, I first wanted to comment because you, you mentioned in your first in your opening part of the preface to that question was about ag supply, um, mm -hmm. ag supply and demand. Is I want to praise the work going on by that you all are doing in Agrinovus and more broadly said Purdue University and other uh, land grant institutions, but really making sure that farmers and the ag and the body, the ag supply chain in our country is so successful and encouraging innovation in the system. So I'm not going to, I can talk about it a little bit today, but one of the key things that, that are determinants of food insecurity are food prices. So by having efficient agricultural supply chains in our country, and that for that matter, globally, really does help to reduce food insecurity by keeping food prices low. Most of our conversation today is going to be about demand side issues, but I did want to emphasize that supply side issue as well. So you and I could have a conversation all day about a lot of the determinants of food insecurity. But I did want to just talk about one in particular that is a probably the driver of food insecurity in the United States, namely disability status. Those mm -hmm. with 
either a child in the household or an adult in the household or a senior in the household, somebody with a disability, is those households are far more likely to be food insecure than households without anyone with a disability. And it's really become a somewhat of an intractable problem. We, do, we need to do more research in this area, but also try to figure out innovative um, solutions to this, both in terms of when we talk about disabilities, I'm talking about both mental health and physical health disabilities. This is why I'm so excited about the project, because when we talk more about this today, is we really will address one of the key drivers of food insecurity, namely the challenges facing those with disabilities. Great perspective, Craig. And I love this idea of innovation really being the big unlock, right, of, of how we think about using the resources that are available to really drive step function change. And when we look at these big challenges, food insecurity, an absolute giant challenge and innovation in any big problem, any big program is tough. SNAP program last year, 2021, was a $113 billion program. At its core, innovation starts with a really simple question, right? What problem are we trying to solve? As you look at the SNAP program specifically, and, and really the opportunity to innovate within SNAP, what, what's the greatest problem? How do we define that problem? What's the problem to solve when we apply innovation to SNAP? So is just before turning to that question, let me just talk a, very briefly about SNAP and why it's just such an incredible, important program. Is It's really the foundation. It's really the key driver of, of um, the foundation of our social safety net efforts and food insecurity in the United States. You can't talk about alleviating food insecurity without talking about SNAP. You just can't. As you note, it's a huge program. It's over a $100 billion program. And, you know, it has ramifications for all, you know, the, for all citizens across our, our country. But it's incredibly important. And um, there's been some innovations over the years which have been quite important. And one recent innovation was just that the uh, SNAP benefit levels increased by 20%. The USDA, in a process that began in 2018, by culminating in 2021 with an increase in the Thrifty Food Plan, which is the basis for what all staff benefits are, are, are set at. But you specifically mentioned innovation. And over time, is there's been a lot of neat technical innovations for those, well, for those of us who are older, you admit you're younger, but is it used to be people when a family would use food stamps, staff is they would use coupons. They would actually have to use, so they'd go up to this counter and then they would put this. So everybody in line knew that they would use snap and for some people this can be stigmatizing for various reasons or people just feel uncomfortable doing that so the electronic benefit transfer card was emerged in the early 2000s so you'd set up using uh coupons as you actually use a card to to swipe um and then you know, just look into an atm card so this was an exciting innovation but now we're in a, we're in a new era we're in a new era where we really need to begin to think about how those who are on snap can have the same shopping experience as those on, not on SNAP. That's one of the beauties of the program. Mm -hmm. The program gives dignity and autonomy by allowing people when they go to the supermarket to shop alongside their, their friends and neighbors. Is But now one more people are doing shopping online. You know, this escalated during COVID, but it's still, you know, an important consideration. So I think that some of the innovations that we're talking about, but ways to make people such that they can shop online, just as their friends and neighbors shop online, we need to do make sure the SNAP recipients can do that. And that's a major challenge that we need to address in terms of how we leverage innovation to address this. 
Yeah, and kudos to the federal leaders who have really made this online process possible. If we look back at the 2014 Farm Bill, first authorized to use SNAP online for SNAP pilots. And we saw early adoption in 2019. I believe it was by New York was the first mover. And then most of the rest of the states in 2020 amidst the global pandemic moved online with the online SNAP pilot. As we, as we think about this online transaction with SNAP, and we've started to dig into this with community health here in Indiana and really looked at how online is made possible. So mobile becomes a really big piece of the online ecosystem. We, we found that in this study or it, working with community, there is mobile, mobile phones are available through a number of federal programs to SNAP recipients at low cost or no cost. Craig, from your perspective, what role does mobile play in this innovation ecosystem around SNAP and food insecurity? So, you know, just coming back to what we were talking about just a second ago, Mitch, was this notion that people should be able to shop SNAP, whether somebody's a SNAP recipient or non-SNAP recipients, they should be able to shop the same way. And, you know, a lot of way people are, are shopping these days is they're, they're shopping online. They're making decisions about what to purchase based upon what they see online. And they, this could be when people are in food stores, they're making decisions together going on their app, but also is that they will be making purchases from mobile phones um, on, online. And, and we need to make that as seamless as possible because we know, and we know how frustrating it is when an app doesn't work for um, you know, right. one of us is really a, a big hassle. But we have to make these apps especially important. Coming back to my discussion about you know, issues pertaining to challenges that face people on Snap, we wanna make this as seamless as process as possible. So they're able to make these purchases just like anybody else. So as we get more and more innovations in terms of online shopping through mobile phones, Let's make sure that SNAP recipients can share in the same bounty. Makes total sense. And, and Craig, the project we're working on together, really looking at the existing SNAP landscape and this opportunity to modernize, to create that same connectivity that, that we enjoy today. One of the key, I think the key thesis that we came to in our work with you and as an even, even as we formed the Hunger Tech Innovation Challenge was any solution we create any solution that we create to connect supply and demand and ultimately get food in the homes, food in the hands of food insecure is one where economics have to be possible, right? right. This can't just be doing good. And, and there's a lot of people doing good, a lot of people getting food to those in need, but a real durable, sustainable solution has to be one that, that creates revenue, one that is durable long-term. Help me understand. Do you do you agree with that thesis? And and what are you what are you beginning to uncover in your research as you're digging into this? So in terms of you know looking at so let me first respond to the, the first part of that question about the durability of this is that one thing we you know this is incredible because one thing we know about SNAP recipients is the average length of stay on SNAP is about eleven months. Okay, so people are moving on and off the program. There's some people who are on it for an extended time period, say persons with disabilities oftentimes or seniors, or there's some persons who are on it for an extended time if they're shortlisted. So is it trying to figure out the ways that we can accommodate them? And you talked about the, you know, the, the business model for this. You know, people are going to be using this with their SNAP dollars, but they're also going to be using these apps with non-SNAP dollars. So if a food store says, look, we're welcoming you as a SNAP participant, he or she will stay on the program as a non-SNAP. I mean, continue to shop at that store as a non-SNAP recipient. And then maybe if they go back on the SNAP, they continue to do this. So this sort of durable sort of thing 
I think is um, is is really important. And in this report, okay, so that's what I just want to say in the terms of what terms of durability is that you know we talked in this report we're coming out with some a few recommendations based upon you know what we see in terms of the current landscape with respect to food insecurity and SNAP, but also you know some of the online programs. And I think that there's a few things that we really need to do to make sure that this program succeeds. And I'm going to talk about a few of these intermixing them in terms of our, in our in the extent of our conversation. You know, the first thing is is to make sure that some of the board hurdles that come about for food stores and sign up for this program are removed, okay? I mean, large, so one of the challenges with any sort of regulatory framework is large companies oftentimes can navigate these a lot easier and folks for this. So it's great that, you know, a lot of the food stores across Indiana are in this, are doing online shopping. However, a lot of small supermarkets, especially those that serve a lot of SNAP recipients, the regulatory hurdles are too high. So figuring out how to ways way to make this more durable to make it more streamlined, such that people can get onto the program, uh, uh, stores can get into this more easily. Second thing, so that's from the provider side. For, you know, from the user side, is really make the shopping experience again. I'll come back to this again and again, making it just the same as whether they were on Snap or not on Snap. Make it easier for people to use their a mix of Snap. Uh, benefits and cash. And this is important to have both be available to people because the 90% of SNAP recipients spend more on food than they get in SNAP benefits. So therefore they will have to use cash to purchase these things. Also, there's other things that are food stores that people buy, such as you know, diapers, paper towels that are not, of, you can't use SNAP to purchase those, but you'd like to be able to purchase those in the same online ordering thing. There's lots of exciting innovations. Again, back to the thing I think is critical. You talk about durability to make this program successful. Is we need to have some. Uh, we need to make it durable and address some of the hurdles to achieving that goal. Really helpful, Craig. And I think as we looked at this, you know, one of the big one of the big barriers was delivery. And so, you know, you can you can transact online with Snap but you can't connect supply and demand, right? You can't get that, that basket or that bag to the house. And as we look at how many of us got groceries during the pandemic, it was things like shipped and things like other e-grocer technologies. And if we look just broadly at the venture capital ecosystem, this e-grocer segment has just been on fire. GoPuff raised over $2 billion last year. Joker raised over a quarter of a billion in venture capital. Do you see these e-grocer technologies and Snap really coming together? I mean, we, we have this thesis around that, that hey, there, there's a whole new category of software as a service or a whole new category of tech called hunger tech. Where, where are your thoughts on that? So I, I think that this is uh, incredibly exciting. And I, I want to talk about this over, over two dimensions. The first area where this is exciting is, you know, one of the, you know, even though, the vast majority of Americans live relatively close to a food store and it's pretty accessible. However, there's a, a number of Americans, especially in some of the more rural areas, including in Indiana, but a classic example is in other parts of the country, American Indian reservations, very isolated from, from, from a lot of these stores. So by having sort of these e-groceries is we can address some of these areas where there's limited supply of food. And this is really, really critical in order to bring this into the, the food system ecosystem. In other words, it's often not feasible to say, oh, we should build a bri brick and mortar store in the middle of a very rural area. That's not practical. On the other hand, having food delivery there is practical and it's something we can right. do 
Now, this is what I'm excited about the closure. The other reason I'm excited about this is, again, harking back to my discussion, our discussion about persons with disabilities, is getting to the food store can be difficult, okay? Navigating the food store when you're there in terms of all the sensory overload, some of these issues, is being able to do this on an app is critical and then have these food uh, delivered to your household. But I oftentimes say that when people oftentimes talk about food deserts and things like this, I often talk about the food deserts can be at an individual level. In other words, if somebody is even like half mile away from a food store, if they face troubles navigating the whole process, is they might as well be 50 miles away from a food store. So this e-grocery can really help those with disabilities. Great comments, Craig. We we could talk all day. We are out of time. He is Dr. Craig Gunderson, the Snee Family Endowed Chair at the Baylor Collaborative on Hunger and Poverty and a professor in the Department of Economics at Baylor. Craig, thank you so much for spending some time with us and looking forward to, uh, to reading your report coming up. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Mitch. Keep up all the amazing work you all are doing there. Thanks so much. You will see Craig again. He is a judge for a Hunger Tech Innovation Challenge. That's coming up in July. Huge thanks to Anthem for making that possible. Craig, really, really looking forward to working with you. And thank you for tuning into Ag Bioscience. You can get the latest Ag Bioscience news and insights from discussions just like this by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. While there, you can, you can also access our entire library of archived episodes. And you can always learn more online at agronovusindiana.com. On behalf of the entire Agronovus team, I'm Mitch Frazier, thanking you for listening. We look forward to seeing you real soon. This podcast is a product of Inside Indiana Business, hosted by Gary Dick and produced by Kayla Chittister and Joe Ullery. More people get Indiana business news from Inside Indiana Business than any other source.